And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Cherucci, a.k.a. Will C., coming to you from Long Island, New York. And yes, got the Jets shirt on. We'll talk about the Jets. We'll talk about the Islanders opening day coming up tomorrow. It's Wednesday today, October the 12th. But let's lead it off here with postseason baseball because it has been the absolute storyline, to say the very least. And there's been a lot of speculative storylines throughout this whole postseason. The Mets, they got eliminated after going 101 wins. And look, bottom line, they choked. Okay, they legitimately choked. I don't care what the Met fan has to say at this point in time. They won 101 games. That's great. However, with everything that happened with them over the course of time, they had opportunities to go out there and win this division, the NL East, and now they're out. They got swept by the Cubs in the middle of September. They got basically... They, they lost it. They, they lost games that they shouldn't have lost. They had the easiest schedule in September, and they blew it. They absolutely downright blew it. Going up against the Padres, though, you knew that with everything going on and with everything, they had a shot at least to beat them. But the Padres, they came in like gangbusters. Josh Bell, the Friday night game, game one, hits a home run, set the tone, making it a difference. In, in that game, the pitching wound up being absolutely phenomenal. You Darvish went up against the very same Mets back in, I believe, August or July, whenever it was, and he shut them down. And on Friday night, that proved to be the case. Shut them down again. Saturday, DeGrom comes in, pitches. He gives up a couple of home runs, couple runs. But the Mets, they fought back. And Sunday night, you got to see what happened. And look, man, bottom line, you know, every Met fan that I heard over the course of time, oh, we got the best lineup. We got the best one-two. We got the best closer. All for nothing. All for legitimately nothing. And I wanted Buck Showalter here. And as a Yankee, to try and, you know, come full circle. I think he's a way better manager than Aaron Boone. I still believe that. But, you know, in my honest opinion, what are you going to do right now, you know, as a Met fan? It's a very, very long offseason coming up. You still got to resign Brandon Nimmo, Edwin Diaz, and of course, Jacob DeGrom. Now you got to go out there. And one would have to say, hey, you know what? We got to overpay for Jacob DeGrom now at this point in time because of the fact that he is, he still brings that mentality of, hey, I'm, I'm the best, one of the best starting pitchers out there. And you got to deal with Max Scherzer too, who's on the decline. There are other guys out there on this, on this free agent list. Chris Bassett. Is he going to resign? We'll find out. Uh, but right now, this team, this Met team that we all heard about, just absolutely downright embarrassing. By the way, by the way, 
I got a little bit of beef with the Met fan here in this sense. And for the Mets in general, why is it that in a 4 nothing game, I get the trumpets, you're going to play the trumpets for Edwin Diaz, but you're down 4 nothing. Why even do that? Why even do that in that situation when you're down by four runs? If they were up in that game or in a close game, I would understand it. But you're down by four and the season is legitimately on the line. Why would whoever is running that party patrol, why would you do that? Why? I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, that just adds more of the speculatory uh, thing in that matter. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the Mets are what they are. So, I don't want to hear about, you know, oh, you know, we had a 101-win team. You got to build on that now. You know, you can't focus in on 2022 and what happened in the past. You have to legitimately go out there and put together one good offseason to say, hey, you know what? We know what our weaknesses are. We need a bat. We got to go out there and we have to re-sign our guys. Because right now as it stands, the Mets right now, they are hurting. But speaking of hurting, let's move on from the boys in Queens who have to figure their stuff out to the Bronx boys, the Bronx Bombers, the Bronx Bombers meaning the New York Yankees. And I got to tell you right now, with everything going on with them, I was watching the game last night, watched the whole game, and I got to tell you, they looked good, but Cleveland looked absolutely phenomenal. The Guardians, say what you want about them, not having any offense, they are a very pesky team. They are going to be a very pesky team to eliminate. And they got game one, the Yankees did, good for them. But my opinion, watch Cleveland tonight go out there and be just as stingy at the plate. Watch Cleveland go out there and legitimately just look for pitches to hit like they did yesterday against Garrett Cole. And I'll give credit to where credit is due. Cal Quantrill literally pitched the game, not of his life, but he pitched a very good game. And he was all over the strike zone. He didn't want to attack right down the middle. Of course, you don't want to give these Yankee hitters mistakes up at the plate. But you got to give credit to Cal Quantrill last night. And tonight, going into a rough environment, Shane Bieber, a reigning Cy Young Award winner, is going to probably find his groove. What do I mean by that? You saw the way how Quantrill was attacking up, up, up. And throughout the whole commentary, by the way, Bob Costas should not be on this uh, TBS crew. Maybe, 
you get Ernie Johnson back, but that's just me. I take Ernie Johnson at this point over Bob Costas. I don't want to go on a tangent. I respect the hell out of Bob Costas. In fact, he was my childhood. I love Bob Costas. But right now, he's, he's not the guy. He's not. He's not what he was at one point in time. Anyway. Bieber. He's got to attack the strike zone. He's known as, a, as the Cy Young Award winner. He's going to go out there and he's going to attack these Yankee hitters. He's not going to give them freebies down the middle of the plate, of course. But he's going to be painting corners. He's going to be attacking that strike zone up when it, when it comes to two strikes. And the off-speed stuff that this kid has. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable what you see tonight out of Shane Bieber. And the Yankee lineup, you thought last night was close. Tonight's going to be even closer. Nestor Cortez, as great as he is, these Cleveland hitters and Terry Francona, they're smart. And yeah, these hitters are young and they don't have the mashers in there. But if they could find a way to get the Cortez tonight, playing the small ball way, they might be they might be due for a game two victory on Thursday. No questions asked. As far as Cole went last night, as much as I dislike the contract, and as much as I looked at that contract and I said, you know what, this is something that the Yankees didn't need at the time, just because of the fact that they have always been burned with free agent contracts before. He pitched a hell of a game. He pitched one hell of a game last night. And what I will tell you is that, you know, many people wanted this ace and to get him here playing in the home field advantage that Yankee Stadium is. Bottom line, he pitched absolutely phenomenal. And he legit found a way to just go out there and pitch one of his best games as a Yankee. Sure, the strikeouts weren't there, but he had the movement on his pitches. He was attacking the strike zone, and those Cleveland hitters outside of Stephen Kwan and them having the opportunities that they had, he made them look foolish. He did. But you got to give credit to where credit is due. For a young team, I feel like they, they didn't blink, the Guardians did. And that's something I was more impressed with. Aaron Judge, you know, he had himself a great year. He struck out a couple times. He got on base via the walk. Uh, he's got to be better with some of the pitch, some of the pitches that he's getting. Um, you know, they're going to be respectful of him, of course, because of the fact that he's a talent. But the other guys, they stepped up last night. Harrison Bader stepped up, big home run. Anthony Rizzo stepped up big. And Trevino with the sack fly, that was something that you wanted to see. So another thing that I want to get on here, and I'll leave it like this. When it was 1-1 and Aaron Judge got walked in that sixth inning, you knew that Quantrill and the Guardians, those wheels, they were going to fall off. Sure enough, it happened. Rizzo hits the two-run home run. And just like that, 
you know, the Yankees, they, they got the W. And the Guardians had opportunities to go out there and tie this game. But they're a young team. They're going to learn from their mistakes. And Terry Francona is going to make minor adjustments during the game. The lineup may stay the same. And Bieber's going to go out there and he's going to do what he's going to do. But having said all that right now, watch out for, to, for tomorrow. It's going to be a closer game than a lot of people are going to give credit for at this point. It's going to be very, very much a nail-biter tomorrow. Um, to get on to the other games, I got to give credit to Seattle. Even though they lost yesterday in a heartbreaking fashion, that wild card series against Toronto... They go into the Sky Dome. I call it the Sky Dome. I don't call it Rogers Place or Rogers Center. I call it the Sky Dome. They legitimately found a way to come back and they were down 8 1. Maybe, who knows what could happen in game three. Game three never happened. Here's the bottom line Seattle found a way. And that fan base, with Julio Rodriguez leading the way. You know, you got George Kirby closing games out. You got you got Scott Service going out there and being the manager that he is at this point in time. Kudos to them. J.P. Crawford, Gold Glover, you know, Cal Raleigh doing his thing. That's the way how you want to build this team, from the middle out. They got Crawford, their Gold Glove winner. They got Raleigh, a thumper, behind the plate. And you got Rodriguez playing one of the corner outfield spots, being probably rookie of the year. So having said all that right now, good for the Seattle Mariners for making it. And that fan base has been absolutely downright wanting a winner for the longest time. The longest postseason without a postseason appearance, 21 years. Congratulations to the Seattle Mariners for making it to the ALDS. However, they lost game one in heartbreaking fashion. The opposite way. They got burned. Jordan Alvarez hits the game-winning home run. They were up big. And they were up 7-3 in the eighth inning. Bregman comes up and hits a home run to make it 7-5. Alvarez comes up. And their closer just... They're going by a closer by committee at this point. They just couldn't get it. They couldn't get it done. And Alvarez, instead of the Mariners being up one game to none, or even who knows if they tied it or not, if that would have happened, the Astros. But they went out there. They won it. They they stole it from the jaws of defeat. And they did what they had to do. How about Philadelphia? How about Philly? Going into Atlanta and just absolutely... Just slapping the hell out of the World Series champs and out of the NL, out of the NL East champs, break the Atlanta Braves, right? Think about that too from this perspective. They had the day off. Now they didn't have to fly all the way back. We'll get into the Padres Dodgers in a second, but the time frame is just only an hour. They had to fly down to Atlanta, and this could be honestly, I I, I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if there's an upset in this round. But you got Aaron Noah, you got all these pitchers that 
the Phillies got with Zach Wheeler, too, being over there. And they cut Didi Gregorius. They fired Joe Girardi. If they go on a deep run, this is one of the more surprising storylines. Except for the Philly fans that watch and see this every day. But on a national stage, and you you got this... If they go out there, they pull the upset. I don't think they are. But if they do, man, how much of a storyline would that be? But let's not look ahead like that. Focusing on the good things that happened yesterday. They didn't hit a home run. They keep on playing small ball. Their pitching staff is pretty good. Their bullpen, finding ways to go out there and win games like un- unbelievable. You know, you don't think of the Phillies bullpen as being uh, all-worldly great. Well, you know, they found a way to go out there and contain the Braves. Now they got to go out there. Game two, they got to figure it out. And the Braves, you know, they're not going to go out without a fight. It's only one game. Game one. Game two tonight. Well, today, in a couple hours. But regardless or not on how you feel on the matter, the Braves legitimately just... They got to figure it out soon. Maybe the teams that have that that time off, hey, like in the Astros game, afterward, they knocked Justin Verlander out. Same applied here in this Braves series. So, Mariners, did, excuse me. But to get back to the Braves, they legitimately found a way to win the division. They got the, the couple of days off that they deserved. And because of the couple of days off, you get to see the buzzsaw in in the Phillies just come in and take game one. So now they stole home field. Now they got to go out there and win. Pressure's on Atlanta to win tonight. Um, and then the final game from this LDS, game one. Dodgers, Padres, a fun series. The Dodgers were up 5 nothing going into the fifth inning. And the one thing that I I love about social media, and I'm going to sound really sarcastic here on this, the one thing that I love about social media is the fact that, oh, how did these Padres beat the Mets? Oh my God, the Padres suck after three innings. Between And I made a comparison to the Islanders in the 2020 bubble, but, you know, the Islanders, they had to go up into Edmonton after playing a game seven against against the Flyers in the semifinals of that. And they had to play the Eastern Conference Finals up in Edmonton due to the bubble. And, you know, they got themselves destroyed 8-2 to two in that game, right? But here's the difference between that and it's baseball. The situations are different. I understand all that. But the similarity of that is there where they had to fly through time zones, and come back, not really having a day to prepare. But for them to come back like they did last night against against the Dodgers and them having the best record in the NL and having one of the best records in franchise history, that was pretty phenomenal from their perspective. So having said all that right now, they came back. They had opportunities to go out there and win. They they didn't take care of business. I think tonight is going to be one of those nights where you might see an upset. You might see an upset tonight. And I wouldn't be surprised if these San Diego hitters 
stay a little bit more patient, stay a little bit more, stay a little bit more on the on the cusp of wanting that, wanting it more tonight. They don't want to go down 0-2 against the Dodgers, even though they're two hours away from Petco Park from Dodger Stadium. They don't want to go down 0-2. And if that place gets packed with Dodger fans, uh, I don't know. But we'll see what happens uh, come tonight. Speaking of tonight, we'll move, we'll talk about the Jets, we'll save the Jets for last. The Islanders, even though their season starts up tomorrow, tonight, a lot of hockey's going on. Last night, the Rangers, they beat the Lightning by a score of 3-1. Igor Shesterkin looked pretty good. Uh, the Ranger fans are basically all saying, oh, we want the cup after one game. One game, people. One freaking game. You beat up, you beat up on a team that went to three straight Stanley Cup Finals, right? 2020, 2021, and last year. But having said all this right now, is this team poised to go out there and have one of the best seasons? Probably. This is coming from an Islander fan. Probably. We'll see what happens as the season progresses. We don't know what injuries are going to occur. We don't know if line combinations are going to get to the best of this team or whatnot. But you know that this team is going to be hungry to want to get back to not only the Eastern Conference Finals, but to move on to that Stanley Cup Final. Uh, yeah, we're going to say it like that. Uh, but tonight, you got the you got a lot of NHL games going on, a lot of storylines. I'll give you my three storylines for the NHL year outside of the Islanders. So number one, you're going to see about what's going to happen with the Colorado Avalanche, how they're going to repeat. They lost out on a couple of pieces, but they gain more wisdom, more experience over that course of time. Let's see how the Avalanche do this year. And, you know, they lose out on Grubauer. They got to figure out what's going on about Grubauer, Kemper. They lose out on Darcy Kemper to the Capitals, excuse me. And, you know, we'll see what happens there. Number two, let's see what happens with Toronto this year, right? Toronto has, they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. And they haven't won a playoff series in nearly 18 years. A first round series in 18 years. What's going to happen here with Austin Matthews, with the, the core that they have that are making over 10 plus million dollars with Tavares, Matthews, Marner, you know, what's going to happen with them? Are they going to have career years or are they going to be more of the same? I think that they might grow. Uh, their defense is a little bit suspect still. And when you're moving, a, when they say that they're going to move a guy like Wayne Simmons, that basically means one thing and one thing only. You don't want to see a team like that go soft. If they do, it's not going to be pretty. Um... We'll see what happens there. Uh, and their goalie situation, man, they lost out on Jack Campbell and they get they get uh, Samsonov and Murray from Ottawa. So they're really banking on Murray to find his groove like back in 2017 when he won the Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins and him being that linchpin almost uh, to the Penguins back a couple of years ago. But having said all this right now, here's my third team, my third little sleeper. 
let's see what these these teams that have missed the playoffs the past couple of years, the Ottawa's, the Buffalo's, the New Jersey's of the world. Let's see what they have to do this year. They all three of these teams have great young cores. They have great young cores. Start off with Ottawa here. They did a lot by acquiring Alex DeBrinkett, Claude Giroux, signing him. Uh, you know, they get Brady Kachuk there. Another year with him. Tim Stutzel, you want to see what they got. And Thomas Shabbat, you want to see what he has too. This is going to be a fun team to watch. And honestly, I can't wait to watch a team like that play. They're about to get a new arena in downtown Ottawa. And look, bottom line, they know that they want to sell seats. The Ottawa Senators do, right? The Sabres, the same thing. They just appointed Kyle Oposo, new captain of the Sabres. Tage Thompson, uh, you know, they got Owen Power there. They got, you know, Rasmus Dahlin. They have a nice young core. They got to fix up their defense and their goalie situation. But I think they'll be okay. And then finally, the Devils. We all have heard about Jack Hughes. We've all heard about Nico Heeshin. You know, they've added a lot of these younger kids into the fold here. Here's the bottom line with them. Is Lindy Ruff going to be that guy that's going to put everything together? Is the goalie situation that they have going to be way better than it's been over the course of time. We all know about Mackenzie Blackwood, but they have to figure out if the goalie situation is going to be it. That's it. They have the talent. They spent money on Dougie Hamilton, but the bottom line is they have to figure out their goalie situation in order to succeed. If they do, they're going to those three teams are going to be teams to watch. Even the Detroit Red, Red Wings will go for it. The Red Wings, too, are going to be a fun team to watch. We'll see what happens this year. California hockey, I think, is going to be back on the map. It's going to be exciting. But those three teams that missed the playoffs, the Devils, the Sabres, and the Ottawa Senators, those teams are going to be fighting for a spot. So the competition is going to be there. And the talent is going to be there alone. But we'll see what happens with hockey. And let I want to talk about the Islanders for a second. The Islanders today, right now, they're due. They're poised to make it back, right? They signed Matt Barzell to a big deal. Maybe Barzell goes out there and has a career year. He'll turn heads around and basically say, hey, look, we're the Islanders. We're back. We're going to be better than ever at this point in time. I'm going to make people around me better. And, you know, he is the absolute force that the Islanders need to go out there and win games. He can't be putting up 60 points a game. If he is under a new head coach, under a new style of play, even though it's going to be the same style in that sense, I don't know what to tell you. I don't. And I watch this guy play every night for nearly, for nearly the past five years. So... We'll see what happens with Barzy. 
Uh, young kids that got to step up. Obviously, Anthony Beauvillier, he signed that deal last year. He's got to live up to it. Uh, Oliver Wallstrom, he didn't have himself a great preseason. He's been hurt. Uh, he's got to figure out a way. Kiefer Bellows found his way. Uh, you love hearing what he what he brings to the table. He brings a physical presence. He's going to be on that third line with Josh Bailey and J.G. Uh, Paggio, so that's a good sign. Um, for him, you want to see him get up in the ranks uh, on that Islander forward core. And, you know, you look at... You look at the, the veterans on this team, too. Anders Lee. You know, people know his game, right? People know his game of being parked in front of the net, trying to clean up rebounds and opportunities, screening the goalie, being in the slot, being that guy that's so tough to maneuver and handle in, in that sense. So big expectations for him. And Brock Nelson, he's on the first line projected. We'll see what happens with him with Bo and Lee. And the defensive pairings. You cannot break up Pulak and Pelk. You do that, it's going to be doomed, doomed, doomed to put this team back a couple weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe a year if they do that. You cannot break apart... Pulak and Pelic, they're the best tandem defensively in the National Hockey League. Another tandem that people aren't aware of, Alexander Romanov and Noah Dobson. These guys are going to be really relying on each other. And what I mean by that is Romanov's going to go out there and he's going to be physical. Dobson has to go out and he legitimately has to figure out a way to stay at home. What I mean by that is, while Romanov is going to be going out there and being that that force, Dobson has to not let these breakaways happen. These opportunities for opponents to score with nobody around them happen. If he does do that, if he stays at home, and we've seen in the preseason him basically get guys and just blanket them. At that course, time stopping breakaways. That's what you want to see out of Noah Dobson. But you don't want to see these breakaway opportunities go out there and just give teams a chance to score. They don't do that. It's going to be a long year. And then we look at Mayfield. He's coming back. Now you got Ajo and Robin Salo fighting it out. I think it's Salo's job to lose that six spot. And... Aho is going to be the seventh man. I have no problem with that at all. I've been feeling that way the whole year and the whole offseason at this point with Sebastian Aho. He is what he is. He's he's a guy that moves the puck around, left-handed shot. He's not he's not going to be that physical with it. He's going to be more of a finesse type of defenseman where he's going to be controlling the puck. That's what you want to see. And out of him, that's his game. I have no problem with him being the seventh defenseman at all. Salo has come into his own, I feel, and he's right there. And, you know, this other kid, we'll get to the forward again, Shoshnikov. This kid, Shoshnikov, man, I tell you, from what I've seen, kid can shoot. He's going to be a younger version of Clutterbuck. And Matt Martin has had some history playing with him up in Toronto. 
That's what you want to see. That's what you want to see on this fourth line. Another grinder going in there and just legitimately just having a shot. He had that shot in Jersey in the preseason game. Uh, looked pretty good. He can be a penalty killer. He can be serviceable. And I have no problem with it up until Cal Clutterbuck comes back from his injury. So having said all that right now, I think this team legitimately just finds a way uh, to, to, uh, to do it. And then finally, the goaltending situation. We all know about the goalie situation. Soro Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov, they're going to be, they, they built this team from, from in, from goalie to defense to out. That's the way how he's look. That's the way how Lamarillo is going to look at it. Lou Lamarillo and all these other teams are going to figure it out, uh, trying to figure out how to score on them. So we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with them. But the goalie situation is by far the strength of the Islanders uh, this season. Speaking of strengths, got to talk about my Jets, right? I'm wearing a strength and conditioning shirt. Um, the Jets, man. They're three and two. They played absolutely like a team that is going through growing pains. This is a team, in all honesty, I'm going to be really respectful here. They could have started off the year 0-5. They could have started off the year 5-0. They could have started off the year 4-1, 1-4, They're three and two right now. And a lot of games have been close. Obviously, their three wins have been close. Don't let the final score from the Dolphins game fool you, okay? The Dolphins were in this game. The Dolphins were legitimately in this game, and they were finding a way to go out there and run the ball down the throat of the Jets' defensive line. The linebacking play has to be a little bit better. C.J. Mosley, I'll give him credit. He's been finding himself, but realistically speaking, the pass defense, they went up against third stringer who honestly and th this is something that the Jets have had problems with for years for many years they can get pressure on the quarterback they can the problem is trying to sack quarterbacks and they had a couple of sacks but as the game went on and as the game got to the Dolphins the Jets got to the quarterback but during the game when this kid I don't even know his name he legitimately found a way to just scramble out of the pocket, try and make plays, try and make throws. He was making some big throws on third down. And the running attack of Mostert and the Dolphins, they were they couldn't stop it. They legitimately could not stop that running attack. And if if it wasn't for a missed field goal, and let's say they would have went up 20 to 19 at that point, who knows what could have happened. At that point, who knows what could have happened with this Jet team. So, they get the win. The running game looks great for the Jets. The defense has to be better, obviously. They're going up against the Green Bay team in Green Bay that is going to be hungry for a win. That's going to be due. A pissed-off Rodgers is going to happen. And a pissed-off Green Bay crowd is going to happen. And I know there, there's going to be a lot of Jet fans there on Sunday. But having said all that right now... If you're a Jet fan, you saw, if, if you thought that this team would, was going to be 3-2, and two, be proud of yourself. Be happy for yourself because 
there were a lot of people, I'm not going to mention names, that thought that this team would be 0-5 right now at this point. And they found a way to go out there. Miraculous comeback in Cleveland. An unbelievable win in Pittsburgh in which they never win in Pittsburgh. And now they get the win against the Dolphins. Say what you want. They're 3-2. and two. They're over 500. But it's a fact they went over against three third string court. No, doesn't matter. They're three and two. Eat shit. Eat shit haters. Okay. Anyway. Uh yeah, that's pretty much about it. You know, I'm trying to keep it short and sweet uh, on today's episode. Um but that's the way how I how I feel about the Jets. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but that's ultimately the way. We'll see what happens coming in the next coming weeks with, obviously, this week against Green Bay and against the Denver Broncos. Like I said, a lot of people would pencil at the beginning of the year, this team 0-7, this team could be 5-2. and But I don't want to look forward like that because they could be 3-4 and as well. So we'll find out. We'll see what happens uh, come this Sunday and next Sunday. So we'll see what happens. Guys, I'm going to get going. Thank you for uh, listening in and tuning in and following on the board sports. We'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out and stay safe out there wherever you may be.